Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Our children are constantly looking to us for examples. The term role model doesn't quite cut it here. We are shaping their worldview with every move we make. You see, it's not in the lectures we give or moments where we are actively attempting to teach them. It's in the micro movements we make, the unconscious ways in which we navigate life. We are constantly teaching our children how to show up for themselves, their friends, their future partners, and even their future children. So what can we do to ensure we are raising thoughtful, compassionate, self-aware human beings? We have to become them ourselves. No one is perfect, but we can still all be better, and it starts with self-healing. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Imperfect Momming, and we have a very special guest today, uh, Coach Michelle. Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Thanks, Alicia. I'm excited about our conversation today. Absolutely. And I was on your podcast, so welcome to mine. Yes, I love this. I love that we can share our our heart and our mission to each other's um, listeners. It's awesome. So tell us who you are and what you do. So I am a, a coach for women, specifically 40s and up, um, and I help women stop over drinking and create a life that they love because, um, as we'll dive into, the world conditions us to think that we need it as moms and as high achievers, and it's just not true, but we have to learn how to create that calmness and peace in our body that that's really what we're looking for, And um, but alcohol works when it works and then it stops working when you have an unhealthy relationship with it. So I love to help women do that. But then we dive deeper and really uncover really what brought them there in the first place. And it's usually relationship challenges, um, maybe lack of self-love. It could be just life and um, over giving and over stressing and losing yourself in the process. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So many things popping into my head. <laughs> I love when that happens. Uh, you said something uh, early, early, and as you started talking, that the world convinces us that we need it. What is it? Alcohol. Yeah, yeah it. To get away from it, the it could be the pain. It could be mm. the, the willingness to be vulnerable. It could be fear could be any sort of what we would call painful emotion. That would be the it. And then the world just says, oh, well, it's okay to drink because it's legal and people are doing it and it makes you happy and have more fun and be more social. So it just becomes this little slippery slope of, are you just doing it? occasionally for a celebration and things like that, which I could have a whole nother conversation on that, how I can still celebrate and have fun even without that. Or is it becoming a regular go-to for you? So yes, um, specifically um, alcohol in general and how it takes you really away from yourself and it's down to the root of avoiding. So, um, do you want to tell, like, did you, do you want to tell your story, a little bit of your story about how you got there, about how you got here? Yeah. 
Totally. I actually, um, you know, I, I dabbled in drinking alcohol through, I tried it as a teenager and definitely in my 20s. And I would have weekends of heavy drinking and going out and got involved in wine clubs and kind of did what a lot of 20 somethings do. However, even looking back, I can see I really just didn't have an off switch to where, you know, why not just finish it? <laughs> it's here. Why Why are we just doing a glass for each, you know, thing at wine club, wine club when the other girls were drinking water and ready to head home? I'm like, I'm just going to need to crash because <laughs> I've already gone over it. However, as I got older, got married, calmed down and, and to get real life adulting and then wanted to have kids, it just wasn't a part of my life. It wasn't until after my second biological child that... I realized that, oh, well, I have kids now and I'm done with that. And I started socializing again on the weekends. And obviously, too, it, my relationships that I cultivated were around that as well. And then it became to where instead of just the weekends or just a cookout, it was another day during the week and then another day during the week. And then next thing I know, I'm drinking almost every day of the week as a way to de-stress or relax. And um, that went on for a really, really long time until it just really became to where I was having this really personal internal battle. And even then I knew that something was unhealthy, but it still took me probably a year or so after that before I actually said, okay, this has got to completely go. And did you go through any kind of 12-step program or like what was it that um, that supported you in, in the, this has got to go? Well, first of all, it was really coming to a place where I was even having the conversation with myself of like, okay, I'm super disciplined. I am achieving things. I'm working, I'm working out some, not as much as, you know, I would hope to, cause I would choose to come home and have a glass of wine if I was too stressed. And I'd, I actually pulled through at the time I was working out at the YMCA <laughs> and I would actually drive to it and have the whole negotiation and then drive through the parking lot and head on home because that's how much of this lack of um, learning how to feel what I needed to feel or cut or how lack of my own coping. I, ha I had no clue. So that's kind of cool to sit in this seat now and really look at that version of me and just really have compassion for her because she didn't know what she didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then I just, it just continued to where I was hiding it. I was hiding the amount that I was drinking from my spouse at the time I was hiding it around my kids. I was completely disconnected. I was around them, but not connected with them. And it just became a thing where I tried to moderate and I tried to make all these rules. And then it was just full surrender for me. It was honesty with my God and full surrender. And then making a commitment to go, okay, what kind of support is out there? Let me try things. And thankfully... I am a, a very much an extrovert. I'm, I'm a solution finder. I love to explore things and I'm okay 
with trying things and then it not work and then trying something new. So I tried a lot. I went to celebrate recovery. I tried um, a couple of different AA classes. There was a program called Favor. I read tons of books, podcasts. I really did a lot of things that begin to kind of crack open this idea of there being other options out there. And what I found was for me was when I really got into the self-growth and coaching. And I found people that were able to teach me about the brain and the behaviors and why we do the things that we do. It's funny. I, I, my, my, my story, like I, I don't have, I've never had a substance, uh, dependency, um, unless you count sugar. <laughs> Food All my, right. All at some point. Yeah. Food is, was my, um, I mean, I, it never, for me, food didn't get to a point where I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm so incredible. I mean, the scale might've disagreed, but like, or these, the, the BMI scale that, that I'm learning now doesn't even mean anything, uh, disagreed. Cause it said I was obese, not just overweight, mm -hmm. but, um, I mean, I just like, I could never agree with, with that, but, um, like I, I never, my problem was I was attracted to alcoholics for some reason. And I never, like, I literally never understood that, but it, my <laughs> old desk just completely restarted. Um, it, so anyway, as I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted, <laughs> by technology right um <laughs> so my personal struggle wasn't uh with with alcohol or any kind of substance but um I was I was attracted to people who were which made me less likely and does and and desire alcohol a lot less um especially when I think that the people around me are um having a an issue Hmm. Um, it's almost like, well, I'm not going to partake because I don't want to feed into it. Like if I'm not doing it, they're less likely to do it. If I am doing it, they're more likely to do it. And it, that ultimately ended up not being true either. Um, but you know, cause everybody does what they do, you know, and everybody has hmm. their coping mechanisms. Um, yeah. but I always, I'm always impressed with and have great respect for people who overcome and mm. and then support others in overcoming which is what yeah yes yes and I want to bring um attention to the word alcoholic for a moment yeah um because we still have, it's getting better, but there's still, I believe, a very strong stigma around um, if you have a questionable relationship with alcohol, then you are an alcoholic or you're on the opposite side where there's really like you just only have a drink occasionally. And I just don't believe that to be true from what I've experienced and what I've seen, because the one thing I did not like about AA was, well, there's a couple things. First was you had to identify as an alcoholic. Well, that immediately did not feel in alignment with me 
because I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't physically, chemically, I wasn't addicted to the substance to where, you know, when you think about the spectrum, it is very, very large. And most of the times when we do, we do think of the alcoholic like on the park bench or they lost their license or went to jail or broke up the whole family. But there's like a lot of the in-between. And for me, it was, I have this relationship and I don't even know if I could really label it like that then was it, alcohol had a hold on me. But also what I saw inside of that was so many people that had been there for years. And the idea of it is to say, I'm powerless to alcohol. And I thought, that just doesn't really feel good to me because my whole thing is I want to have my power back and I don't want to be part of. And I think it's, it's great for so many people. That's the thing, you know, even listen in this episode. Take what you want, leave the rest. That's how, I, that's how I see it. And I know for me and my community, that's not the, that's not for them. Yeah. It's just not. And it's to a point where if we continue to um, place labels, and that's why a lot of women, they do it. They, it's so secret. The women I work with, um, they usually have very high achieving jobs. They are moms. They, they're, a lot of them are serving in their church which has this whole other layer of guilt and shame to it. But, and they've actually had a lady, she actually went to a group recently of, you know, her faith community and they were serving mimosas. And I was just blown away at, yes, I get it on occasion, but really, is that, is that what we're doing now? And they're, you're not even knowing who's in the room. And that's the thing where I'm at now. I don't, I don't mind being around alcohol. It doesn't bother me at all. I have friends I go to dinner with. And for me, when I made a choice to go completely alcohol free, it was because that was the best choice for me. And I just do not see value in it anymore, even inside of a wedding celebration or New Year's Eve, where I do have some clients that quit over drinking and they still on occasion have one. And that's the beauty of this journey is taking alcohol out of this higher um, thing that rules us or that we, that we idolize and putting it where it belongs, just like putting, you know, over Netflixing or over eating, they all have their place. And you've got to understand that you actually can have your power to put them where they need to be. Yeah. I really love that. Um, because I, I've, I've never been to AA, um, but I went to Al-Anon, um, and I was, I was, I went to one or two, um, mm-hmm. of uh, meetings like that. Um, and it's, those are not supportive for me. It's a, it's a bit too much for me. Specifically, I went to a celebration recovery with a friend um, and the same thing, the thing that I, that didn't resonate with me, because I think that we all like, I, I like the concept of celebration recovery because it's, um, I mean, like I said, I went to one, so I can't like say what they do or what they, mm-hmm. what it is, but what I noticed was 
a huge emphasis on the labeling of my problem. Mm. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I'm a, um, what's the other one? I'm codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend that invited me, I heard her say in a course of maybe five minutes, at least three times about her codependency. Yep. And I said, you know, my invitation to you is to take that word out of your vocabulary. What is it that you maybe like the, the way that you operated in the past was of a codependent nature and you were doing that in order to get your needs met. Yep. And going forward, you can make different choices to meet your needs. You can Mm. meet your own needs. You can ask other people to support you in meeting your needs. But that's ultimately, as I see it, what codependency is, is we're trying to get our needs met in a way that we that we can. Right. And I haven't looked a whole lot into codependency. So if I'm wrong, I I'll just I'll just say that like from my own, I remember I went to code to codependency. I went to see celebration recovery probably six years ago. And that was the thing that I was aware of. Mm-hmm. Um and I had uh my best friend, I would say that I was codependent with her. And because I had this codependent relationship with her, when I met my fiance, I didn't create this codependent relationship with him. And so when she passed away, that was very disruptive in my life. And I didn't transfer how I related with her to him how I related with him because we had a very established relationship Mm. and I was in the community where you and I met in this coaching community and I had done a lot of work. Um, And I, but I also recognize now that I went to the opposite extreme where I, the only people that I connect with were virtual Mm-hmm. Or the people that I connect with on a very deep level were virtual. And so like I have the people who live in the house with me <laughs> and I have the virtual people and I don't socialize much outside of that community. And so I kind of went to the opposite side. So now I'm like, now I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let's see how can, how can we like look how can we have a happy medium? Because I don't want to, and, and my friend, she was like, well, how are you codependent with her? And I was like, I can't even answer that question. I know it was a thing <laughs> back then, but mm. at this point, I'm so far from it. Yeah. I can't answer that question. Yeah. Maybe, Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Maybe yeah. if I really, really thought about it and really, really tried, I could probably answer the question, but also why? Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. Cause I love that when something personal comes up, cause exactly what's needed maybe for somebody who's listening because, um, and I heard you say, yeah, let's find the middle. 
That's why I, I want to live more in the middle because I think a lot of us go to these extremes and that's where we really lose ourselves. And with Celebrate Recovery, I will say out of every one of those, it's my favorite, a couple of reasons, um, because it is Christ-centered, um, which is important to me in my life, and that it's there's a, they're a lot more accessible for relationships. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree when we identify as something that I believe can hold us more captive instead of really what we're wanting is freedom. And if we label ourselves and identify as that, especially the version of me, then the people that are probably there in this, when they're on processes, you don't recognize kind of how you're locking sort of locking the door on the freedom because you've just identified yourself as something. And so for me, I totally agree. And that's the beauty of have, have the connections, be in a room where people you're not alone. That's so powerful. That's why I have the communities that I have. And I know you as well. Like, that's why we bring people into these places. Like you're not alone. You know, we're all struggling in these specific areas and recognize those are just behaviors. And my, my support and how I help women is to, first of all, help them to acknowledge what's really true for them and be extremely honest, but in a safe space, let's, let's like look under the hood a little bit and see the inner workings of what is going on. Where were your needs not met? Did something, you know, yes, the answer is yes. Did something happen in your childhood? Yes. (laughs) We all know there's many things there. Um, And what is it that you truly desire and what you want to feel? It's funny that I was just with my coach last night because I think it's so powerful to continue growing, continue working with a coach. That's just something I've, you know, especially as a leader to my community, I let them know that. And we got to talking about dreaming and desire. And I remember it wasn't that long ago when I really recognized that I had not, I had not been allowing myself to do that. And I realized that was a learned behavior to not dream and desire because I always put this like ceiling and cap on, oh, well, that's not possible. And there's so much power in really seeing and desiring what that future version of you really, really wants. I know you love that too, right? Yeah, I the it I mean it's huge. Um I had a similar realization this morning talking to my coach also cuz she was I was in a it was a group coaching session um and she was asking us like what's the best thing that happened this week? What's the worst thing that happened this week? What's the worst thing that's happened in your life? What's the best thing that's happened in your life? And what I recognized in those questions was that, like, I didn't have an attachment to the negative things that I'd, that had happened in my life. Like, I've done a lot of healing around those things. But what I also noticed was that I didn't have a connection to the positive things, the, the best things that have happened in my life, there was that, there was a similar kind of disconnection 
Hmm. And, and I was talking to her after the fact. Um, and she said, it's like you put a manhole cover over your emotions. And I was like, well, if I put a manhole cover <laughs> over these emotions, I can remove that manhole cover over yep. my emotions. Um, and just having that realization was so powerful. And like the the last two days has been a completely different experience hmm. in my in my joy level in my experience of the good things that I'm happening that are happening in my life because like I was starting a gratitude practice and it's like I'm really grateful for yeah. those things but I wasn't feeling it and now I'm like feeling it and to an extent where it's almost overwhelming and I'm okay with that. Awesome. <laughs> I'd rather have an overwhelming of good yep. than, than have, than be even keel. Cause that's what we don't realize about our emotions. We want to turn down these, the, the negative ones, but we don't have that. We don't have the power to just turn down the ones that we experience as negative. And I'm using air quotes because you can't, if you're only listening and you can't see me, it's like a dimmer switch. So in my house, we have an overhead light that's on a dimmer switch and there's four light bulbs. But if you dim, you can't just dim down one of the light bulbs. You dim down one, you dim down all. And that's the same with our emotions. If you're dimming down the air quotes negative ones, because I think all of our emotions have lessons and power and there's a reason for them. Yeah. So I don't think that there are necessarily negative ones, but there's ones that we don't enjoy as much as the ones that we, as the ones that we label as positive, mm -hmm. but you can't dim down the negative and not dim down them, them all. Yeah. And this is, that's a beautiful metaphor. And I've talked about that a lot with my community because most of the time when over drinking becomes more consistent. It is this desire to dial down the negative or what we want to label as negative emotions. And then they become the big blob called stress. <laughs> I'm just stressed, you know, <laughs> it's like, I'm not allowing you to use that word. You got to pick something else. <laughs> you know, you're really feeling humiliated. You're feeling discouraged. You're feeling unappreciated, invalidated. There's so much more that you're not willing to see. And so let's just, they're just, and you're neutralizing it. I love that word because we think that, and yes, we get the dopamine from the alcohol and there's so much brain science around it. And that stuff's really cool. And I love to talk about it too. But at the end of the day, we're just numbing. We don't feel better. We're just numbing what we just decided that, oh, I don't want to feel that. And then that's what happens becomes whether it's the chemicals, the emotional factors, you know, we're all mind, body, spirit. Then we aren't really truly able to feel the joy and the excitement. 
And there's also this thing that happens where we're kind of afraid to when it does begin to bubble up because of the internal stories that we have as well around, well, if I'm feeling this, this big, something must be coming. You know, a lot of us have that. And a lot of the work is working through that too and allowing yourself to feel fully and allow it because as soon as we try to control it with our intellect, you know, it's just, it's just out the window. And I feel it, that's when we can't really learn as much from it either. I agree with all of that. Um, and is there, is there a piece of advice that you want to share with moms who might be questioning? Mm. Yeah, because here's the thing. I'll say this for whoever's listening to this episode. Some of you are going to just really enjoy it and think, oh, that's super cool. And you might have learned some stuff about emotions and drinking is not your thing. You have one every now and then. It's not a big deal. And there's others that you're feeling probably a little bit more uncomfortable right now because, you know, this is you and you may just have been quietly feeling this way. About it, you may have actually had your spouse say something about it. Say, "Hey, you know, I notice you're drinking a lot. That's that's pretty common." Um, you may be someone who's already been hiding how much you drink because that's what happens. Our tolerance gets higher, and we're able to. And sometimes the turnoff switch is not found. So what I would say first is just acknowledge it. Just acknowledge the truth for yourself in this moment of quiet and just to be able to say, hey, you know, I I have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And get curious. Always ask to check in and ask yourself, what is this costing me in my life? As it relates to, sure, money, how much you spend in. You know, everything's expensive. I imagine wine bottles have gone up. I haven't looked in a while. <laughs> but what I really mean is what is it costing you inside of your relationship to your spouse, to your children, your relationship to your, your God, your relationship to yourself, to your abilities, your physical body, your emotional health, Really sit down if you're willing and just kind of write some stuff down. Just do a little writing and and just check in so that you can see really what's going on. And then um, check in and ask yourself, what what are you most afraid of? Because typically that's what happens. We're just afraid of fear missing out. We're afraid we're not going to be fun. We're afraid we can't handle the stress or the anxiety, or we're afraid that we might lose our friends. I mean, there's so many fears that get in the way that will absolutely keep you stuck. And just like the manholes covering the emotions, I feel like we're inside of a prison and the key's in our hand. <laughs> it's our, we got to look down, take the key and get out. Nobody's going to come rescue us. And so these are the kind of the first steps. And then um, find yourself someone to support you, whether it's, you know, finding my stuff and seeing what value you can get from my podcast and then or um, a coach or a therapist, but somebody you can trust and feel safe with to get help. I, I love all that. It's a really powerful um, exercise. 
that you just shared. I love that. Um, is there a book that's been instrumental in your personal development journey? Um, yes, I would say probably the very first book I read when I was questioning was, is called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. She has a huge community and she has, I mean, she's been around forever. And, um, the other one is How to Do the Work. I really like that one too. Awesome. And where can our listeners find you? Uh, go to podcasts. That's where, um, you'll hear me is set free sisterhood. And then if you're just kind of curious, I also have a free masterclass. Maybe somebody that's sort of like, well, I'm curious about more, but I don't really want to talk to her yet. Um, <laughs> there's a free masterclass. You go to setfreesisterhood.com and then just plug in your name and email and it will come straight to your email. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time and your energy and your, your wealth of knowledge. Um, and, um, yeah, I appreciate what you're doing in the world. Thank you. Thank you. There will be another episode of Imperfect Mommy coming for you all next week. And until we meet again, keep healing. Bye, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Imperfect Mommy. It's time for us to step up and realize that our power is not in trying to shape our children. Our power lies in shaping ourselves into the people we want our children to model themselves after. Don't just do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. When you become a more self-aware, compassionate, and confident person, you and everyone around you benefit. For more information about me and my work, visit alishalyons.com. That's A-L-Y-S-I-A-L-Y-O-N-S.com. See you next time.